Hello and welcome to the Copper Libertadores podcast on the World Football Index. In this episode, we'll be looking at the semi-finals of the competition and we'll also take a very quick look at what's happening in the Copper Sudamericana. I'm your host, Adam Brandon, based in Arica, Chile. And with me tonight is Austin Miller in the US of A, but his heart is in Brazil and at the moment probably in Porto Alegre. Yes, but also my heart is kind of in Sao Paulo with Palmeiras, who are maybe kind of making a late title push. I don't know. I've tried to not think about it because it didn't seem possible that Corinthians could actually be caught. But now they actually might. So it could be a really good couple of weeks here if, if Gremio can get it done in the Libertadores and if Palmeiras could somehow catch Corinthians. Uh, I'd be pretty pumped. So, yeah, I'm doing quite well. Good to see a Brazilian team finally get back to the final, uh, as I'm sure we'll talk about here on this week's episode. And also joining me tonight, as ever, is Simon Edwards, based in Colombia. How are you tonight, Simon? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Unfortunately, no Colombian Copa Libertadores teams, but we do have Junior, an all-star Junior, who hopefully looking good to get into the Copa Sudamericana semifinals. So that's the real competition anyway. But we'll do the Libertadores first, just, just because. Right. Let's take a look at what happened in the River Lanús tie, the all-Argentine affair. Well, guys, wow, what a second leg we had, but... I watched all the first leg and remember very little of it and barely made a note due to just how mind-numbingly dull it was. I then went and missed the first hour of the second leg due to work. And what do you know? Six goals and one of the most dramatic comebacks in Libertadores history. So, Simon, maybe you can talk us through it. Yeah, so after the first leg, obviously, uh, River Plate, it's a team that's been very much up and down. They've lost a few key players as we get into the final stage of this tournament. But coming off a, an emphatic win against a Bolivian side they should have been beating. But after many questions in the first leg, they really turned it on at home. The first leg of this this tie, they faced Lanús at home. They were less than convincing. Lanús were looking to get a, an away result that set them up nicely. And for most of the game, they did that kind of Saw out the game. Uh, in the end, a goalkeeper spilled it. Uh, Skorkel pounced on it. Fired one into the roof of the net to give River a 1-0 lead. Lanus hadn't really attacked as much uh, as we have seen them before. They they looked quite limited. It looked like River Plate were very much in control of the tie going into the second leg. Uh, so, you know, you would kind of lean towards River despite having, you know, the second leg away. They looked in good shape. Uh, second leg. Again, everything was going River's way for most of the first half. The first goal was from a penalty. A clumsy push in the back. It probably was a penalty. It was a very silly penalty. Uh, the defender was coming across to 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 see out the, def- the the striker. A clumsy push in the back. Converted you know, very nicely by uh, Nacho Scorco to make it 1-0 to River. 2-0 aggregate. Things are looking good. And then... Shortly after 23 minutes, Cross comes into the far post from a from a free kick, and uh, Gonzalo Montiel headers it home, two 0 You know, you're thinking tie over. Lanús had a few moments in the in the start of the game, but over the 90, 120 minutes so far of the tie, they hadn't really produced enough to to make you think they were definitely going to get back into it. But then everything started to change. There was a handball call, which is a, an interesting one. Uh, River Plate had the ball down the left wing, cut inside uh, the defender, and 
it hit his hand. Whether he moved his hand down to block it is a difficult one. There was a lot of calls for for VAR. VAR is now being introduced in this tournament in the semi-final stages because you know we couldn't make things easy for the officials. Um, so there was a lot of calls for VAR. In this instance, the referee didn't go to the look at the replay. It was definitely a contentious one that that wasn't given in the end. That could have been game over. But 45 minutes just before halftime, uh, Jose Sand, the, the veteran Lanus target man forward who, who runs the line very well, did some tireless work, made it 2-1 on the night. So going into halftime, Lanus had something to play for. And River Plate were kind of feeling a bit sorry for themselves. They had a free kick as well just before halftime. So they had a lot of good chances uh, and they were, you know, 3-1 up. But Lanus still had, uh, uh, you know, a fight in his game. And just after halftime, with some pressure, you know, a lot of pressure on the, the River defenders, high, you know, around the halfway point, Lanus won the ball, broke quickly, kind of broke free. And, and then again, Sand, the veteran striker, volleyed home from inside the box to make it, 2-2 on the night, 3-2 to Rivers still, um, and, and they were back in it. With Rivers still ahead on aggregate, um, the ball was played down the line. Sand, again, doing lots of tireless work, turns, plays it into the box, again, squared across the six-yard box, and it was slid home uh, by Acosta. So, again, that, that goal made it 3-3 three, three on aggregate. Very tight game. In the end, there was uh, the final goal, which made it 4-2 to Lanús and put them ahead on aggregate. Again, it was a slightly contentious one. Uh, the the ball was slipped through. There were two Lanus players kind of closest to the ball. But one of the River Plate defenders reached out a hand, got a hand on the shoulder of a Lanus forward, pulled him to the ground, and the commentators were going, penalty, it's a penalty. What, what's, the, what's the referee doing? Eventually, after a couple of seconds pause, he went over to the, to the VAR, to, to the video-assisted refereeing machine, had a look at it, Asked it for be, to be played at real time speed and then slowed down at real time speed, and after a lot of the, the consideration, eventually pointed to the spot, gave the square sign, and the penalty was very very coolly dispatched by Alejandro Silva. A slow run up, slips into the corner, and then uh, Lanús saw out the game, four two on the night, three two aggregate. Ignacio Fernandez managed to get a red card in the ninety second minute. And that was that. So a very dramatic game. Lots of incident. Uh, could have kind of gone either way. River Plate looked in control. But ultimately, uh, the goal before halftime gave Lanús something to fight for. The goal straight after halftime made it a contest. And Lanús kind of had the better of it. The intensity uh, in the stadium was, was a real factor for the corners for River Plate. They had riot shields held up over their heads for to protect them from the fans. I think that was, again, one of the key things in this tie. Whereas the River Plate had the first leg at home, which, you know, it's you're never sure what, what's necessary when you play the first leg at home. And the fans in the Monumental are kind of further away from the pitch. It was more of a controlled performance. By going into the second leg behind and by conceding early... It gave Lanús kind of nothing to nothing to lose. They didn't. All they needed to do was score as many goals as possible. And I think the intense atmosphere in the stadium, close to the pitch, much more of a European-style stadium, an English-style stadium, if anything, in Lanús, with the crowd right on top of the players and that intensity. You know, once they got that goal and that second goal after hard time, 
I think it was the pressure of the the atmosphere and the the passion in the stadium that really drove them forward to get the result. Including a fat bloke in his pants. <laughs> did you say? <laughs> I did. Yeah. In his in his wife runs jumping up and down on a narrow bar in the front of the stands. I think that was the highlights of uh, that was that was one of my highlights of the uh, fan footage from this game. Yeah, and it, and it was it was very impactful. Uh, looking at the intense atmosphere, you know, and I do think stadiums play a big factor. I'm, I'm so pleased you said intense atmosphere. Man. <laughs> Great result for Lanús. Um, they've been a a, a a tricky team, a, a spiky team, a team with a lot of fight, a team with some interesting players. Acosta is a great player. Jose Sand is one I've liked up front. Not always been as effective as he was in this game, but he was really decisive on the night. And Real Plate again showed that they can they have a collapse in them, <laughs> and especially since losing some key players, they're not quite the team that they were and they were never really quite as good as that that massive result in the last round indicated that they could be um so not massively surprised that Lanus have gone through but going 3-0 behind then that definitely that definitely is where the surprise and the you know the impressive the impressive nature of the victory comes yeah in the in the post-match interviews um a couple of uh, Lanus players both spoke really highly of of Pepe San calling him an animal amongst other other things for his display. Um, yeah, and, and the River defence just never really got to grip with, grips with him in that second leg. Um, Austin, uh, what did you make of this one? Certainly congratulations to Lanús. The first time in club history they'll be playing for a Libertadores title. Uh, it was really cool in, in the final moments of this match. Uh, the broadcasters did a really good job of continually cutting into the crowd and you could just see the emotion and the tension. And as is always in, in these type of situations, you know, there's that one moment at the end where River get close to goal and, and it's heart and mouth time and, oh, will they potentially ruin this for all of us? And they didn't. So you could just see all of that tension in the crowd. And, and it was really cool that, that Lanus, one of the, you know, not one of the major clubs in, in Buenos Aires, to be able to get to this stage and, and fulfill that is, is really cool to see. I think Simon hit on a lot of things. Um, I will get to the video assistant review here in a second, but the goal from Pepe San right before halftime is where I think Lanus got back into this. They were able to go to the dressing room with a little bit of hope. Hey, yeah, we still have to score three, but we've got one back. We're 3-1 down. All right, let's score one early, and then boom, they did that again with San straight away to start the second half. That kind of four minutes of game, 20 minutes of, of actual time stretch is really where Lanus swung this. I thought Sand was, he was everything that you'd hope a, a 37-year-old veteran striker could be in this type of match. He was, he was kind of clinical, he was smart, he was intelligent, and, and he was the reason that Lanus were able to battle back into this. Uh, Latoro La Acosta is, is a really good player for Lanus, and he showed it in, in this tie, especially in this second leg. I thought he was brilliant. Good to see him get the goal. And then the penalty call, obviously, that's where the video assistant review comes into play. I think this is the type of play that advocates of VAR point to for the reason that you should have it. Uh, it was an off-the-ball challenge, but inside the 18, as Simon said, an arm got out to pull a Lanus attacker back. I thought it was a penalty. Wilmot Roldan, the Colombian official, missed it live. 
but able to see it on video, was able to, I think, correctly rule that it's a penalty. So in a vacuum, yes, VAR got the call, quote-unquote, right. Uh, but what you recognize, and I think what you and I have talked, we're talking about pre-pod, Adam, is it wasn't just this call. It was, it was that it wasn't used consistently, and it's not been used consistently, and it doesn't seem that there's any sort of standard for its usage. And so, yes, they, it got this call right, but it should have been used plenty of other times in this tie, and it wasn't, and that was the frustrating aspect of it. This will always kind of be my issue with VAR because it, it's still at the discretion of the referee, or, or the officials, and in this game, there was a couple of times they could have used it um, to review key moments, um, which probably would have gone in Rivers' favour, and they didn't review it. And Rivers' manager, after the game, he was very upset. He felt that it was only used for one side, basically. And it, and it seemed like it was. It was used to uphold a Lanus goal at one point. There was a question of an offside the official took a second, consulted with the VAR, then you know made the box signal with his hands to confirm that it was a good goal. And so the calls that it was used for, I think it got right. But as you said, it wasn't used consistently. It wasn't used fairly. And if you're not going to use the technology in the same way for both sides, the same type of issues, that's where it's going to cause a problem. And in its first usage in the Club World Cup, that's what we saw. The issue is if you use it for some controversial plays, the demand for it is that you want it to be used for all controversial plays. And understandably so. If you have this sort of tool, the players are going to want it used as much as possible if they think that it's going to benefit them. And when it's not, that's where it's frustrating. And so as we've kind of said from the start, it doesn't eliminate this sort of controversy. It just adds more fuel to that fire because it's, it's River asking, why wasn't it used on this play when it was used on this play? And so until there's that sort of consistency, which I think we're all in agreement probably isn't going to happen, it's it's frustrating, certainly for the River Plate, who, who felt that they were at least in some sense hard done by. That said, if you're 3-0 up on aggregate, you should probably be able to see it out, VAR or no VAR. And they weren't. Credit to Lanus for battling their way back into this. But a lot of questions have to be asked of this River Plate side because it looked like they were done and dusted in this tie and they gave Lanus that lifeline, and then Lanus took hold of it, grabbed it, and pulled themselves back in. And now they're the ones who get to play for the Libertadores final, and it's River left asking the questions. Yeah, no, I mean, very briefly on the vibe before we move on. You know, I think one of the issues is, I mean, we all know that in South America, the fa- the referee will be affected by the atmosphere in the stadium, um, more, more so than in Europe, more so than elsewhere. And this is a concrete example of the referee explicitly siding with potentially the home team because you can count them up. Well, okay, they had two, we didn't get any, so he's he's favouring the, the home side. And when the player can't take a corner because he's being having things thrown at him, you kind of get a sense of the pressure and the the difficulties and the you know the advantage the home team has when it comes to decisions, when it comes to certain factors. So this is just another thing that the referee will have to deal with and have to contend with when there's 50,000 fans furious that he's not going to the VAR, he's more likely to do it. Whereas when there's 50,000 fans wanting the game to continue and certain there's no decision to be made, he's more likely to not go to go to the VAR. So the intensity of these, these occasions and these stadiums and these fans and the pressure of the players, I think it's going to impact upon the decisions and as you say it's something that's being deployed in subjective decisions so even when the decision is made you know it's very difficult to fully define if it's correct or incorrect 
plus there's no clear guidelines as to when it should be adopted. When everyone's angry, when, when, when the whole stadium's furious and the fans are, uh, are angry and the players are pushing the referee, that's when it should be applied? Or, or you know, what is the case when we go to the VAR? When do we not? So I just think, as you've mentioned, it, it does complicate the issue further. There was a decision that was made correctly as a result of VAR, and that's great. But you can't point to that and then say, therefore, the system works. Because you've also got to say, well, that one didn't go to VAR. That one did. That one was correctly called. That wasn't, you know, it just complicates the issue further for me. Uh, and especially applied in a high intensity Copa Libertadores semi final with perhaps not enough uh, training and preparation. It wasn't a huge disaster, but there are definitely questions that continue to be asked about its deployment uh, and usage. So we'll have to see. To be fair, Simon, we should give credit where it's due. The system did work like the video system actually worked and that was our number one question would they be able to get the tv to actually work for the official although the fact that both of these decisions benefited lanus i guess didn't bring into consideration our question of what about when you're about to job the home team on a call will all of a sudden the power go out but at least at this time the technology itself actually worked so they're starting somewhere i guess yeah absolutely but then that again it raises the question of why were calls related to River not reviewed by VAR? And again, is that because of the home advantage? And if that's the case, then it's making the game less fair than rather than more fair. So yes, it's great, but I think this question still remains as as to its implementation and usage over the ninety minutes. Just one more point about Lanus before we continue. I mentioned on the last pod that we did about their kind of incredible rise, really as kind of a main player now um, from Argentine club football over the last decade. But it was sad news uh, yesterday, so the day after their, their triumph, Ramon Cabrera, a Lanús legend who started pl- his playing career there and then was in charge of Lanús when they won their first Argentine Premier Division title in 2007. That was kind of the title which started this glorious rise in the last decade, has seen them one another title last year and also continental honours such as the Copa Sudamericana in 2013 and has now culminated in them reaching the final of the Copa Libertadores this year so that was really sad news and and strange timing in some ways yeah I I think I I would imagine that got a bit of coverage there in Colombia no because Cabrera was a was an ex uh, Atletico Nacional manager yeah he was at Nacional uh, 2009-2010 it uh, wasn't the best moment for Nacional, um, but obviously, you know, his passing is, is very sad. And, you know, he, he he actually had to leave Nacional, I believe, for health reasons. Um, but he, he had a decent spell. It was kind of a point where Nacional were just kind of starting to rebuild before they went on to a, to a decent run. Um, so they weren't at the best level at that point. Uh, but, yeah, he did a decent job. And obviously, it's very sad. And people here in Colombia have also... Uh, noted that that he was a manager who who works here as well. Okay, um, let's move let's move on to Gremio against Barcelona, the other semi final of uh, the 2017 Libertadores. I didn't see the first leg because I was away working, unfortunately. But I noticed Barcelona were missing a number of key players in, in that first leg, and and I think it showed as Gremio killed the tie and ran out three 0 winners. Uh, Barcelona had couple of key moments in that first leg, I think, including a shot which 
produced an incredible save, which I'm sure Ostium's going to mention. But yeah, Barcelona rallied in the second leg. I, I did watch the second leg and, and, I, and I thought they did quite well. Uh, but obviously, it was always going to be an uphill struggle trying to get the three goals back to try and force a penalty shootout. Alves did well to, to finish off a nice move just before half-time to make it 3-1 on aggregate. And then I feel if a shot had gone in around the hour mark in that second leg to make it 3-2 on aggregate, I think we could be talking about another famous comeback. But unfortunately, it hit the post and Gremio are through to the final and probably favourites to win the competition that now. No, Austin? I think so, yes, but the fact that the second leg will take place in Buenos Aires, I think certainly favors Lanús, so Gremio will probably need to do something in the first leg at home, Um, maybe not something as strong as they did against Barcelona, but it's certainly an interesting tie, as I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. But yeah, really throughout this Libertadores, Gremio were the most impressive of the Brazilian sides, I thought they were really the most consistent which is strange considering they've been anything but domestically in Brazil. A lot of that, granted, is due to the fact that they've played a reserve side more so than anybody else in Brazil in preparation for Libertadores. But in this competition, they've been consistently dangerous offensively. And I think they approached this first leg in Guayaquil a lot differently than the two other Brazilian sides in the knockout round did. Both Palmeiras and Santos, I think, went to Guayaquil seeking to survive. In some sense, they, they both kind of did. Um, Palmeiras mucked up the match and, and got beaten by a deflection late. Advantage Barcelona. Santos were okay for about an hour and then kind of fell apart, left Guayaquil 1-1 and then, and then couldn't get it done. But certainly Gremio were completely different in the sense that they attacked this match, I thought, more so than really anybody had in Guayaquil this year. It was fant- a fantastic atmosphere. Uh, that traditional all-yellow stadium was looking absolutely fantastic. But Gremio really took Barcelona out of this match early. Uh, a good move down the side from Bruno Cortes. A cross was deflected into the path of Luan. I think at this point, one of, if not the best players in South America, and I think the best player playing in Brazil right now, Luan took his shot, finished it with a deflection to beat Bangueda to make it 1-0. So already eight minutes in, early away goal advantage for Gremio. At that point, you really think, okay, whatever result Gremio have from this point on will probably be positive. And then they were the beneficiaries of an interesting decision by Barcelona goalkeeper Bangueda. Uh, Gilson was over a free kick from about 30 yards at an angle. And Bangueda just didn't get his wall right. And he was beaten to the near post on a shot that didn't take any sort of deflection. He was late arriving. It was 2-0 for Gremio with 21 minutes gone. And then Gremio got pinned back for the next half hour and into the start of the second half. They were really kind of last-ditch defending. Barcelona found some possession. They played well. And to start the second half, Barcelona really had a way back into this match. A header from point-blank range in Marcelo Groe, as you said, Adam. One of the best saves you'll see. Diving to his right, able to get his right hand out and kind of pull the ball back off of the line. He was kind of in front of it, but went backwards to pull the ball off. Made the save for Gremio. That was kind of the moment of the tie. A few minutes after that, Luan got his second of the night. Gremio's third to make it 3-0. And as you said, from that point, it was kind of tied, done, and dusted for the team from Porto Alegre. 3-0 up. They saw it out in Guayaquil. As you mentioned, Adam, some big absences for Barcelona. Gabriel Marquez, their Brazilian midfielder, was not there. 
Jonathan Alves, who was sent off in the match against Santos in the semifinal, did not start, obviously could not play in this first leg, and it really showed. He was very dangerous up front all throughout this competition, and, and Nahuel Pan, the, the big Argentine, just a completely different style of player. I think it changed Barcelona's style and that Nahuel Pan is, is a big physical guy, whereas Alves is a lot more athletic, a lot more dangerous running the channels, kind of making those bending runs along the back line. Nahuel Pan just simply didn't give Barcelona that, and it really showed. Damian Diaz has really been disappointing this entire competition for Barcelona. Was so again in the first leg. And then a good performance, I thought, from Barcelona in the second leg. Obviously, they lost, they were able to win it 1-0. It could have certainly gone differently. Gremio were not at their best in this second leg. There's no question about that. They were tentative. They really didn't threaten all that much. They hit the post kind of late on in the second half. But for the most part, the, the second leg was all Barcelona, but they just left themselves way too much to do from that first leg. Alves did well to get a goal. Uh, then got himself sent off after the final whistle. So next year in the Libertadores, which the rumblings are that he will probably move from Barcelona, Santos of Brazil. Of course, the team he knocked out in the quarterfinal are interested in his services. Why not? If they beat you, just buy their best players and then run it back next year. So that seems to be the, the game plan for Santos. So Jonathan Alves could be headed there. If he does, he'll have to serve a suspension in the Libertadores before he even gets started. But yeah, Barcelona just didn't really have enough in this second leg. Maybe a bounce here or there, and they, they put some more pressure on a Gremio side that were not at their best, did not have Lucas Barrios up top, weren't as strong in possession as they were in the first leg, and just didn't look like they were really all there. But again, they did enough in the first leg that it didn't end up mattering in the second leg. Obviously, you would have liked to see a more convincing performance from Gremio, no doubt. Even just a draw in that second leg, I think, would have left you with a bit more confidence. But... They have one of the best attacks in South America. They have Luan, one of the best players in South America. Lucas Barrios can get back healthy. I love their two center backs. Kahneman and Jeromel are very strong. Marcelo Groi seems to be in form. This is a really dangerous Gremio side. There's no reason that they can't lift the Libertadores trophy against Lanús, but it's absolutely going to be a great battle, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be fascinating. We've got a, debut, a debutant in the final in the shape of Lanús. Therefore, obviously, going for their first title. And I think this will be Gremio's third, no, if, if they manage to win it. Correct. It's, it's certainly going to be fascinating to see. Simon, who do you fancy in the final? Well, yeah, I think um, we've come down to two teams with, with Gremio. I think, on reflection, they've been somewhat up and down. But overall, I think they have the, the best team in, in South America at the moment. Obviously, Luan is a top, top player. Artur in midfield is is a lovely player to watch. Great passer of the ball. Um, Lucas Barrios is another great player who's, who's good. And as you mentioned, the defense is very solid. So it's a real solid, all-round, good quality team that would be worthy winners of the tournament. And then Lanús is kind of still somewhat kind of the unknown quantity. They have good players. A bit more spike about them, as I mentioned. Um, so it's going to be a very interesting time. And I do think the home and away legs are going to be really important as well of Lanús having that second leg at home hopefully at their usual stadium I know sometimes the incomparable they can be quite strict in terms of stadiums for the finals but hopefully they get to play the second leg uh, at their home stadium which will be amazing um, but I think it's going to be really interesting it's going to be two good teams who have played some decent football 
it's going to be interesting to see the dynamic, how things un- un- unravel uh, as we get into the final game. So I think it's going to be an interesting one. It's two teams who will back themselves. It'll be interesting to see how Lanus are able to defend in the first leg uh, against a very, very strong Gremio side who will enjoy possession. There are some Brazilian sides who don't look to have possession in the way that Gremio do. But with the good quality players they have in midfield, they're happy to take majority of possession and try and work their way through an opposition as opposed to hitting on the counter. And Lanus will have to see. You know, they weren't particularly effective in the first leg. They, they lost 1-0. They were a bit flat. Will we see more of that second leg performance? Uh, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I think Gremio are much stronger than River Plate. Obviously, River Plate is a good team, but I think Gremio has a bit more quality. So I don't think Lanus will be able to get away with going 3-0 down uh, against his Gremio side. But yeah, so I think it will all depend whether Lanus can stay organised, control the game, control the tie. Because if it comes head-to-head, I think Gremio have the edge in terms of quality. It'll be interesting to see, especially with a away leg in, in Argentina. That may be key. Yeah, I'm interested to see, Simon, how Lanus approached that first leg against Gremio. We saw what they did against River. It was... I guess generally effective. I mean, they left with a 1-0 loss, but they really kind of shut down River for the majority of that match, got beat on a ball that their goalkeeper Andrada spilled. I'm very, very curious to see how Lanús approached that match. Because if you think back to the round of 16 in this competition, Gremio faced another Argentine side in Godoy Cruz. And Gremio, coming back to the Arena del Gremio in Porto Alegre for the second match, were caught off guard to start that match. Godoy Cruz scored first. For the first 15 or 20 minutes, really enjoyed that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Lanús try to hit out really early, grab that goal, and then sit back. So I think you could see Lanús open themselves up for the first 15 or 20 minutes to try and grab that initial goal, hang on to that away goal no matter what happens. Obviously, so no away goals in the final, but still a goal for Lanús that they they could then hold on to early would be absolutely massive. So yeah, I think this will come down to how Lanus choose to approach that first leg and then what they have to do in that second leg. Because as you said, Simon, Gremio are comfortable in possession, but they're also ridiculously dangerous on the counterattack. They have a really good midfield that links up with those wingers. Uh, Luan is, is fa- a fantastic counterattacking player. So if Lanus have to chase this tie, I think Gremio will like themselves in that situation because of how they see themselves as a, so effective on the counterattack. Absolutely. And with these two-legged finals the first one can sometimes be a bit flat because you never know as as we as i mentioned with the semi-finals the final is even more so because you know the final game is is going to be in argentina the fans are going to be there and the team who has that second game at home knows what they need to do so if they need to go all out attack if they need to defend a lead you know i think this tournament has shown us that sometimes trying to defend a lead is it's not easy to South American football. There's lots of unpredictable attacking players. There's the possibility of a mistake, high pressure. There's, you know, defending a lead can be tricky. So it's a difficult decision for Lanús. If they, if they try to hold out, you know, they could, they could find themselves in trouble. But as you mentioned, there's a way for the second leg in Gremio. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the counter-attacking will come into play. It's going to be fascinating whatever happens, but I think, there will probably be quite an edgy first leg, and I would imagine some level of madness in the second leg with that intense stadium and with one team chasing it and then one team countering it. It should be interesting to see how it develops over the two legs. How do you see it, Adam? I'm not really sure, to be honest. Obviously, I'd prefer Lanús to win it. I'd prefer like the smaller team, the smaller club. I think it's difficult to look past the, as you say, Austin, 
the quality of Gremio's uh, front line and and also they've been pretty good defensively throughout the competition. Yeah, on, on paper at least, you, you probably have to say that Gremio look a decent bet in this final, but I would have said the same about Lanus in the semi-final, you know, River looking the better bet on paper. So I'm, I'm hoping that Lanus can upset the odds again in the, in the final. Okay, so now we're going to move on to talk about the Copa Sudamericana, as, as I promised at the start of the show. There was one really dramatic tie, and that, and that was the big derby in Rio, which, which we'll speak briefly about in a minute. In the, in, the, in the semi-finals, it looks like we've got one team from Argentina, Independiente, but they overcame Nacional of Paraguay 6-1 on aggregate. And they face another Paraguayan side now, Libertad, in the, in, in the semi-finals. Who, and Libertad did really well, actually, to, to, to beat Race, Racing, one of the favourites for this competition. They managed to beat one at home and then grind out... Uh, a nil-nil in Buenos Aires. In the other semi-final, we've got Flamengo, who managed to just about sneak through in in that Rio derby um, with a little bit of inspiration from Vinicius Jr. by the sound of it as well, which is interesting. Um, and they will face Junior, the, the big spenders in Colombia. So we'll have Simon speak a little bit, a little bit about them in a minute. So Austin, first of all, Flamengo in the semi-finals. I know that they wanted the big one this year, the Libertadores, but it looks like we've got a decent chance of winning the Sudamericana as a consolation prize. Yeah, they started the year wanting the big one in the Libertadores, uh, then crashed out of that. Then they shifted their focus to the Brasileirão and found themselves helplessly far behind Corinthians and had to kind of give up their shot at that. Then they turned their focus to the Copa do Brasil and thought, okay, well, maybe we'll have a chance at this one. And we're knocked out in the semifinals of that one. So this is the only one left for Flamengo at this point in the Sulamericana. Uh, it would be a big, not a big trophy for them, but it would be a nice trophy for them on the continental stage, as well as coming with the benefit of sending them straight into the Libertadores group stage next year. Rather and rather than having to come into those nervy playoffs, which as we know now are even more nervy than usual because you have to go through two rounds to make the group stage. That's what it looks like Flamengo will qualify for domestically. So if they could win this, then they would be able to kind of skip that over. It looked like they were going to be out of the Sulamericana as well in the quarterfinals. Um, they were 1-0 winners against Fluminense in the first leg, a goal from Everton in that one. It was kind of a testy first leg affair at the Medicana. But then they found themselves 3-1 down, on, or 3-2 down on aggregate, I should say, after, Flum after Fluminense took a 3-2 lead on the night. But Felipe, Felipe Viseo got one back. William Aran finished it off. So 4-3 on aggregate. I'm happy that they got that last one on aggregate because we could have been in a situation where away goals could have been in effect for a tie that had both legs played at the exact same stadium in the Medicana which wouldn't have seemed fair to me. Uh, usually in the Copa do Brasil, when this type of situation happens, I know it happened for, I believe, Vasco and, and Flamengo a couple of years back. Both legs are played at the same stadium. There's, there's no need to have away goals. But Conmebol decided that there was. It didn't come into play in the end. Flamengo won this tie straight up. But yeah, now they're, all their chips are in to this competition. They face a really talented junior side, a side that, as we know, has a lot of players who feature for the Colombian national team. 
This is a Flamengo side that, as we've kind of said from the start of the year, they've got a lot of talent. There's a lot of really good players. Diego is in the Brazilian national team. Paulo Guijero, who did not play in the second leg, uh, the Peruvian striker is a very good player. Trauco at the left back. Cuellar in the midfield. Plenty of players on the wings that can come in and, and do a shift for them. Giovanni, Everton, Ribeiro, Everton. A lot of good players for Flamengo. The trick is, can they get it all to come together? They did here against Fluminense. They did enough to get through. Uh, but I think Junior is going to be a completely different test. The issue, One of the issues with Flamengo this year has been their back line. And as Simon will confirm, I think Junior have the attacking talent to really make a good run at that Flamengo back line and could put them under pressure for a lot of this semifinal. It should be a fun one to watch. I'm thankful that it looks like Conable won't clash that with the Libertadores final, which is good because didn't see a minute of Fla Flu because it clashed with both of Gremio's matches. Uh, but it doesn't look like that'll be the case here. So Flamengo Jr. is is a tie that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, yeah, no, for Jr., I mean, Jr. have a, a bit of an all-star team and they're looking to continue to invest. Basically, the president massively fell out with the supporters. Uh, the crowds were incredibly low, a few thousand a game for a while. And he's then looked to regain some popularity before the election, brought in Teofilo Gutierrez, uh, who's obviously played in Europe, played in Argentina, played for the Colombian national team. And Jimmy Chara, they broke the transfer record twice in one week for the whole of Colombian football in terms of imports into the league. So they're a team that have two all-star uh, strikers up front, uh, Chateo, uh, Jimmy Chara and Teo Gutierrez. But they've also got a good solid team beyond that. Uh, Juli- uh, Barrera is a player I really like, Jalen Barrera, young attacker midfielder. Uh, they've also got Ovelar, who... I'm not 100% convinced him, but he's more of a target man. So they have two options there alongside Chara and Tio. Either they go for Ovelar, who's the number nine, or they go for Barrera, who's a young attacking midfielder, winger, brings Teo inside. So they've got some good options. I like Jaime Sanchez as well in the middle. Good player. So they're overall a very solid team. They won very, very convincingly away in Brazil against uh, Sporting Recife. Um, they're winning. Uh, they're going to look like they're going to go through tonight. Uh, it's 80-odd minutes, but I think we can say they're through. They we're so dominant in the first leg away and they've almost done the job tonight. So if they're not, we're going to look stupid, but I'm confident they will be. And then against Flamengo, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, Flamengo have some talent a bit up and down this year, but they've got a good solid side. I think it'll come down to whether uh, Tio Gutierrez and, and uh, Jimmy Chara can open, unlock that defence. They've got some good attacking players. The midfield's solid. The goalkeeper's very good. Vieira's been there for a good number of years. Occasionally takes a free kick, which is always nice to see. I don't know if they'll, he'll still be on free kicks with all their all-star forwards in the field. Um, but he's scored a few free kicks in his time. Has angel wings on the back of his shirt as well, which is a nice touch. That's always one of his little signature things. So Junior, a team that's invested, uh, built upon a solid side, brought in a couple of all-star forwards. Uh, they're going to continue to look to invest. Um, they're being linked with lots of interesting players for, for next season. Um, but yeah, I think they'll be in for a shout for this competition. They're still in contention for the league title at the top of the Colombian league. They'll definitely make the playoffs. So they've got a lot to play for, uh, and they're looking good in this competition. A 2-0 win away in Brazil is a good indicator. Flamengo will be a step up from Recife, but we'll see how they do. Uh, it should be an interesting game. Uh, two good quality sides in a, in a semi-final. And Simon, intriguing as well. Renato Rueda returning, obviously, to Colombia, the Colombian manager of Flamengo. So, you know, just another storyline for this tie that, that should be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, obviously, a legend in Colombia. 
after developing that excellent Atletico Nacional team and winning last year's Copa de Libertadores. In the other semi-final of this uh, competition, as I mentioned earlier, is Independiente facing Libertad of, of Paraguay. Independiente looked very impressive in their in their victory over Nacional. I saw a little bit of that one. Independiente historically have a very good history in continental competitions um, and in cup competitions in general in Argentina. They are known as as the king of cups. They hold the record amount of Copa Libertadores, seven in total. They also won this competition back in 2010. So they will be very confident heading into that tie. And I fancy them to face the winner of Junior and Flamengo in the final. Okay, so that wraps us up for the Copa Sudamericana. So just before we go, I just want to go around and and, um, see where you can find Austin and Simon on the internets. Austin, where can people find you on the internets? I am at Austin underscore James 906, uh, getting to the stretch leg in the Basileidown, a big Palmeiras-Corinthians match, as mentioned earlier, coming this weekend. Looks as though Sao Paulo are going to be able to stay up. They've finally been able to string two wins together, and that might have been all they needed to do. So coming to the end there, obviously a couple weeks away, but very excited for the Libertadores final. I'm about to start my journey around the United States following a couple of various athletic teams doing a lot of commentary on that too. So there'll be links for that if that's what you're looking for as well. So should be a, a fun time and should be a busy time looking forward to it. And Simon? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Um, yeah, anything Colombian related. The big thing in Colombia at the moment, obviously the championship playoffs. We've got two or three games uh, left to play, uh, so they'll be deciding the playoffs, which is very exciting. In the final day of the season, there's normally 10, 12 teams in contention for the top eight places, so that should be interesting to see. And in Colombia, particularly interesting is the relegation. It's massively complicated, but over six seasons, they come down to total points, and America de Cali, one of Colombia's biggest teams, may find themselves relegated again, which would be a huge story. So they've got two or three games to survive relegation and also potentially win the league because Colombia's mad. If you want explanations, get at me on Twitter and I'll use my long tweets to try and explain what the hell's going on in this mad system we have down here in Colombia. Yeah, and I'm still waiting for my long tweets um, at AdamBrandon84. So you can find me on there, usually ranting about Norwich or South American football. I think that rounds us up for, for, for today. And I'd just like to say a massive thank you to all our listeners for choosing to listen to this podcast. Also, if you have enjoyed this podcast, then I encourage you to rate us and like us on on iTunes and subscribe as that helps us get us up the charts. So it's goodbye from me, Austin and Simon, for another week, and I'm sure we'll be back soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.